fiction writers. If you've set a goal of finishing a publishable draft in a year's time and are looking for an in-depth resource to help you through each step of the writing and publishing process, Author Accelerator Certified Book Coach Susan DeFridis has an exciting new offering you won't want to miss. Workshops Against Empire includes five courses on story structure, crafting scene, mastering POV, querying and pitching, and more, with the goal of helping you reach your goal with confidence. It's an immersive program that's available in a variety of formats and price points, including a self-paced DIY course bundle. To learn more about the course and the year-long group coaching program coming next year for fiction writers, visit bookcoaches.com backslash podcasts to sign up for a free sneak peek with Susan DeFridis and Author Accelerator CEO Jenny Nash that promises to include tips you can use now to finally finish that work in progress. Learn more at bookcoaches.com backslash podcasts. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. It's Jess here, and this is the hashtag AmWriting Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about all things writing. We talk about writing short things, long things, thrillers, nonfiction, romance, all the things. More than anything else, though, this is the podcast about getting the work done, getting the words on the page, getting the stuff promoted, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, marketing and promotion. Um, This is, again, Jess Leahy. I am the author of The Gift of Failure. I'm the author of The Addiction Inoculation. I was a journalist at The New York Times, The Atlantic, and The Washington Post. Yeah, and one of the things that I love doing as a writer is the marketing and the promotion. It's just one of my favorite parts of the job. Don't know why. I think it's like solving a big puzzle. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what I want to talk about today. It's the reason I'm doing a solo episode today, because I had a very eventful summer. Welcome back to fall. This is the second episode since we finished our summer series. I hope you enjoyed that. But it's time to get back to those sort of like nuts and bolts of pub day and promotion and marketing and how on earth we get our books into the hands of the people that A, might need the information or B, can help you get the books into the hands of people who might need the information. And I love talking about the very complex puzzle of this, right? I'm going to mix a lot of metaphors here, but you know, I've mentioned in the past various people that have been instrumental in the uh, success of The Gift of Failure. I've talked about, for example, that, you know, Kristen Bell did this wonderful Instagram post years ago about the gift of failure that sold a bajillion books, as Kristen Bell is wont to do when she holds her book up next to her face and basically says, thank you, Jess Leahy, for writing this book. Um, but that didn't happen out of nowhere. That happened because of a lot of small things that happened in the years before in order for that book to, number one, come to her attention, and number two, to sort of position things just right. And a lot of that is out of my control. I can't, I can't 
you know, make lightning happen in a bottle like that. You can't be, you know, get, a, you know, Colleen Hoover gets a Kardashian, uh, you know, post on Instagram and suddenly, you know, she's doing really, really well with her books. Not that she wasn't before, but a Kardashian certainly doesn't hurt. Um, I, You can't make that happen. That's lightning in a bottle unless you're really good friends with the person to begin with. And that's not often how it happens. Here's how it does happen. Um, I have a bunch of friends with books coming out this uh, this month, and uh, it can be really intimidating to think about, oh my gosh, my book is coming out in, let's say, September, and I have all these things I want to do so that I could end up, you know, with Kristen Bell doing an Instagram post about me, or I could end up on the Today Show, or I could end up in all these places. And it feels like an enormous about amount of work, and it is, but not when you parcel it out a little at a time. So let's talk about how that work happens. And more than anything else, what I want to do today is talk about what happens when you get years out from a book publication date and you are still marketing and publicizing your book, doing what Ryan Holiday calls having a perennial seller or, you know, giving a, your book a long tail, having your book be a slow burn book. That's another term that I love. I'd, I'm happy to be a slow burn book. Thank you very much. But it requires some reinvention and it requires a lot of ingenuity and a lot of thinking uh, in new ways. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I was on the phone this morning with a friend of mine who has a book coming out uh, very shortly. And I said, I'm going to just, while we talk about all this really important stuff and how you can get the job done and, and have things go really as well as they can go on pub day, I want to just give you a quick reframe and bring your blood pressure down, which is, yes, this month matters a lot, but The Gift of Failure has been out for almost 10 years, and it's continuing to sell well, and it's because of the little things that I'm continuing to do along the way, and that long tail of sales, as it turns out, I think, has been really worth it. And that has been the joy of learning about the book world, learning about putting a book out into the world, learning about the people involved in getting a book out there and meeting the people who are interested in what I have to do and um, and getting it out there into other readers' hands. So let's get started. As happens just about every year, I start to have a bit of a freak out about my speaking schedule. Uh, I don't know what's been going on, but since COVID, things are coming in a little um, closer to the actual event date than they used to. I used to schedule at least a year out, and that's less common these days. So it's more common for me to have a bit of a freak out and think, oh my gosh, this is it. My career is over. I only have, you know, 10 speaking events for this academic year and forget it. It's, it's all over. I'm no longer relevant. So every year when I have that freak out. It's actually a really positive push. It's an important moment for me to figure out how to get my books back out there. And sometimes that requires some reinvention. So I have this book, The Gift of Failure, and I've been doing events around this book and reinventing that, you know, slowly over time and introducing new things each time and figuring out other audiences that might be interested in the book. And that's great. And then I had the addiction inoculation come out and I realized, wait, this book is going to be a harder sell than The Gift of Failure was because it's a scary topic. Even if people say they want to talk about substance use prevention in kids, uh, it's still, it's like the sex talk. It scares us. It's, it's a difficult topic. And so are you going to take time out of your life to read or go listen to an event around substance use disorder, something that may um, freak you out a little bit? So I've had to find ways to help 
schools, community organizations, see how they can pull audiences in on a topic around substance use disorder. Ask anyone who tries to do educational programs and they, they'll tell you this. If you put how to get into the college of your dreams into the title of your talk that someone's coming in to give, you know, it'll be packed. It'll be a full house. But if you get, you know, how to talk to your kids about sex, how to talk to your kids about substance use disorder, the crowds are a little thinner. So I had to come up with ways to help organizations, schools, whatever, understand how to get people in the door. And one of the ways I've done that is to help people understand that the um, the stuff that I'm best known for, the gift of failure topics, actually dovetail beautifully with, this, with the addiction inoculation topics. And when I talk about self-efficacy, when I talk about competence, when I talk about um, pushing kids toward positive risk and helping hijack the do- dopamine cycle in a good way for our benefit so that kids don't feel the need to reach for substances or don't need to reach for substances, then I can sneak, I can do a Trojan horse and sneak a lot of that substance use prevention information in. And when the doors get opened in that talk, I can bring more and more of the substance use disorder content um, and prevention content in. And that helps people visualize what I can do for them. So that's what I've been spending a lot of time doing recently, and it's working great. I love doing gift of failure events that also happen to be at substance use, about substance use prevention, which means I had to go back in and do some um, rework my descriptions of what my uh, talks look like, rework some of the descriptions on my website and on my uh, speaker speaking agency website, and we did that over the summer. It was really helpful. I also made a video about what these talks can look like in order to reach more people and help Help them see how I can help their community get started talking about substance use disorder. So while I was doing a lot of this, I was also allowing my brain to do what I call either unhinge, unhook, whatever. I think of it like, um, it's just so gross. I think of it like a snake's jaws, you know, when they can suddenly get this really big thing in that maybe we didn't think they could get in their mouth. I think about how can I make, get this bigger audience in? What is the unhinging mechanism? I allow my brain to unhinge and start thinking like, well, maybe astronauts would like this book or maybe, you know, whatever it is. And then I go through those um, scenarios in my head about how those audiences might have an interest in what I have to offer. And while I was working on that and ge- generally just doing research on possible markets, I started uh, looking at a bunch of people who do substance use prevention, like the on the ground work in their states. And I didn't realize this, but there's not only agencies, obviously, within the states that do this work, and it's not always under like substance use prevention. Sometimes it's under mental health. Sometimes it's under prevention generally. Sometimes it's under, it's got lots of different labels, and so it can be hard to just search for those things. But when you're really dedicated and you're trying to get your speaking career to make it, you know, viable over the long term is you have to find new audiences and you have to find new people who are willing to talk about your book. And I stumbled upon not just the the state level uh, substance use prevention people, but regional. And then it turns out that there's this large national organization that has regional uh, representatives that handle substance use prevention in various regions of the country. And then... Ta-da! I realized they had a conference coming up, and it was coming up really soon. And it was expensive because conferences have to be expensive because of the way conferences work. 
Normally, you have a grant that would cover that. Like if I worked in substance use prevention, I might have a, a SAMHSA grant or some other grant that would pay for me to go to this conference because it's a really important business expense. It's really important to go to these conferences and actually touch base with the other people doing the prevention work on the ground to find out what's working and what's not and what's happening in the science. So I looked at Tim and I said, I think I have to go to Birmingham, Alabama in a couple of weeks and it's going to be expensive. And so let's talk through whether this expense is going to be worth it is the return on investment. I always have Serena Bowen in my head. What's the return on your investment going to be? If you're going to spend almost $3,000 to go to a conference in another state, what is the return on that investment going to be? And I realized if I was going to spend this money, I was going to have to do it right. I couldn't just go to the conference and hope I meet people, especially because, you know, my nightmare is having to go to a conference and knowing no one and having to sit by myself during the meals and stuff like that. But if I go in with a plan, it's less scary. So I put some really serious time into, I signed up for the conference. I looked, I got the um, the registration packet. I got the list of speakers that were going to be doing presentations at this conference. And I wrote an email, a personalized email to every single one of them. Kept a spreadsheet. Those of you who have been listening to me for a very long time know that I'm very organized in some areas and I also tend to blow it when I get really excited and ahead of myself. For example, I do not have an accurate spreadsheet of every single person I've ever sent a copy of the gift of failure or the addiction inoculation to. So, yes, occasionally people will say, Yeah, you sent me this book three years ago. I've not only wasted my time, I've made myself look dumb because they think I don't even know who I've sent books to, which essentially is true. I mean, I have a pretty good memory, but you need the spreadsheet. So if you're going to start doing this kind of work around your, um, this sort of record keeping around your work, keep accurate spreadsheets of who you send books to. And I don't know why I haven't learned my lesson because I'm continuing to fall down on that. But I made a spreadsheet for this conference and I made a spreadsheet about every single speaker whether or not I sent the email, the date I sent the email, their contact info, their address. Um, Did they request a copy of the book? Because my email said, I just really admire the work you do. Um, I made sure I knew what the work was that they did because I don't, I don't let, I'm not one of those people that can go out there and say, hi, I'm a big fan of your work and not know what that work is. I have to know what the work is because it's, this is all about personal relationships and this is all about being genuine and honest and I am in awe of what these people do on the ground in a general sense but I have to know individually so I looked up every single person found out what they did found out who they work with and who they work for and what their affiliations are sometimes people in this field have dual affiliations so for example someone at uh, you know the University of Washington is also the person in charge of organizing substance use prevention for that state so I had two different fields for their primary and their secondary affiliation if they got back to me and they said oh my gosh I would love a copy of the book I luckily had just enough time it was expensive but I had just enough time to use um, priority mail to get books to the people ahead of the conference Then I also had to find out if I had enough time to ship myself books at the conference because if I was getting in touch with every single speaker at the conference and there were going to be about a thousand people at this conference, I was going to need, I really was going to need at least 50 books, right? 
50 books, that's a whole suitcase. So I found out through my publisher whether I could have them shipped. It was too late. It was going to cost me a ton of money. So I essentially took very, very few clothes and a lot of books in my in my one carry-on suitcase. Um, so I kept track of who I emailed, told them, you know, that I was so grateful for the work they were doing on the ground. I happened to have written this book. And by the way, I was also capitalizing on the fact that I had just received this award from the Research Society on Alcohol um, for, you know, writing this book that is, um, uh, was, did the science communication particularly well. Um, I realized, wait, what I should do also before I send these books out, because I have just enough time to do it, is I should get a sticker that I can put on the front of my book that's kind of like a Reese's Book Club or an Oprah's Book Club or a Some Award. That And these are obviously stickers I'm not going to be able to get to my publisher and go on every book. But if these are people who are into data-driven you know, substance use prevention, having the weight of this kind of award would be important to them. So I should probably get a sticker. And so I asked Serena because she has great stickers and she found a local, a Vermont company that was able to make me the stickers in time. And I was able to go pick them up so that I saved myself the shipping, the time of the shipping, because this was down to the wire. I went and picked them up and put them on my book. And it has this little research society of, of alcohol and used their logo, figured I would ask for forgiveness later if they were mad at me, and got it on the book um, so that when I sent these books out, they had this, this sticker um, about the award on the front. And then when I went to the conference, I worked really hard to try to remember who everyone was. I looked at their pictures. I did that thing. Have you ever seen, um, like in, oh, in Devil Wears Prada? Uh, the assistant to the main woman stands behind her and reminds her of who these people are as they come up to her so that she doesn't look dumb in front of them. Well, I don't have an assistant like that. So I had to be that person too. I had to be the Andy and the Miranda. So I had a spreadsheet that also had pictures of the people in it because I needed to be able to walk around and spot people who I really um, wanted to get the books into their hands. And now I have limited copies. How am I going to prioritize who gets the book if I'm able to get to those people? I created a priority list of people it was really important for me to meet. One in particular was a person I had quoted in The Addiction Inoculation, and she's a hero in the field, and I really needed to get to her. So every day I had like a priority list um, of the speakers I really wanted to find and meet and that kind of thing. So, you know, I went into this with a real game plan. And my big goal going into this conference was introduce myself by email to these people, whether I hear from them back or not. Get my book into some hands of people whose work is really important just so they know that I'm out there as a resource. And my really my basic goal whenever I go to a conference like that is to just learn a lot. I mean, my uh, one of my dreams as a big geek is to go to a conference and just learn. And I live tweeted this conference, which also was a ton of fun. I really, really enjoyed doing that. I got to um, tweet about everything from it turns out that there's a lot of people out there who are very angry about um, about anti-vaping measures because uh, whatever. I didn't know that because I don't tend to, to talk about vaping a lot. Um, found that out. Found out that there are a lot of people out there who are really interested in live tweets from a conference like this. So I was able to do sort of journalist duty and do my marketing and promotion duty. 
Believe me, at the end of each day of this conference, after learning and live tweeting and introducing and putting myself out there and having lunch with the with the popular kids and, you know, finding a way to go up to someone that I really admire and tell them how much I like their work with uh, with that simultaneous feeling of, oh, my gosh, this is so crass. I'm trying to get my book into their hands. But what I got from all of this is the realization that when people do the work that you do and are really passionate about that work and are really interested in learning about all of the resources that are out there, you have a shared goal. And that's in, in this case, preventing substance use in kids. And it ends up being less crass when you have this shared and really genuine hope and wish and goal. Um, It was overall a really positive experience. There was one person who looked at me blankly and was like, uh, thanks. But generally speaking, all 50 of those books, and I could have used like 52, but I had 50. All 50 of the books that went out had the sticker on the cover, had my card, my podcast card, just for fun, um, my um, a gift of failure f- uh, postcard and a addiction inoculation postcard, because even if you have the book, you might want to be able to hand the postcard to someone else and say, oh, this is a book I found out about. Every single copy went out with all those things in it and my contact information. And since then, You know, these things tend to have a really long tail, which is another thing we're talking about here is you're not always going to have some massive social media hit or some massive influencer hit. Sometimes it's going to be the art of the slow burn. These are people who are very busy. They were at a conference. They're learning a ton, just like I am. They're going to go home. They're going to say, oh, yeah, this person gave me this book or I heard about this book and it's here in my suitcase. I'll put it on my to read pile and that might that pile may not they may not get to it. They may look a lot like my to read pile and I may not get to it for months. But at the very least, the seed has been planted. And planting those seeds along the way is one of the ways that we turn this onerous, massive, how do I make everyone on the planet who should know about my book know about my book in time for pub day? We turn that into, I may well well have a productive decade with this book. If you're, you know, Spock or um, one of those people that had a book that continued to sell for 30, 50, 100 years, you may have longer than that. But, you know, I've been really grateful to have this decade. And when you look at it in terms of hours of day per work or one thing you do per day, it makes publicizing and marketing your book a lot more manageable. It's not just about Pub Week. And the other reason I wanted to make this podcast today, this month, is that um, I got overwhelmed over the summer with all of the really great books that were coming out this summer. One of them was um, a podcast uh, guest of ours. We did a coaching episode, Emily and Lynn, we did a, uh, and apologies, Emily, if I pronounced your last name wrong. Um, We did a podcast, coaching podcast with her on fitting it all into a very limited time frame. Her book is coming out this month. And that's really, really exciting. Um, Unfortunately, 
I can't read all of the books. I can't blurb all of the books. I can't get to all of the books. And so when we get to a great month like this one, September, where so many great books are coming out and I get a lot of phone calls and I have a lot of, you know, DMs with people who are like, you know, what am I forgetting? What's the one last thing I'm forgetting? I try to remind everyone, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, it's not all about pub week or pub month, let alone pub day. It's about the slow burn. So think about all the things you're doing now. Am I going to be able to get to my pub day and say to myself, I did everything I could have done. I did everything I could have done to get my book out there, to, you know, get it in the hands of the people who needed it, to do all the social media posts and to have a little bit of grace with myself to realize that a lot of the things I'm hoping I can make happen aren't under my control the morning shows, the celebrity endorsement, all of that stuff. We can't control that. It's the reason that when um, when Serena and KJ and I do our goals every year, we, are sh- we make sure that some of those goals are things that we have control over. Because if you're going to place the success of your book in the hands of a publicist or in the hopes of a celebrity endorsement or whatever that thing is that you can't have total control over, it's going to be... I think a little bit self-defeating, but if every single day you can do something positive that moves your book along, that is just one more thing, one email, one speaking pitch, um, then you're, you're doing great. You really, really are. And with that, I want to do an am reading segment at the end of this, because as I said, there are some killer books coming out this month. I first want to mention our some of our AM writing, um, our community have books coming out this month. Some of them have been on the podcast. Some of them have simply just written emails to say, you know, I wrote this book and listened to the AM writing podcast along the way. And it really sort of give me gave me the gas I needed to finish. And one of them is a wonderful thriller called The Woodkin. The Woodkin, by the way, great title by an author named Alexander James. And this is his first book. He has a full-time job outside of writing. And this book, The Woodkin, is coming out this fall. And it's a really great thriller. I loved it. Highly recommend. Another one, again, is Emily's book. And I need to pull that up while I am talking to you guys, because this is what happens when I try to do this on the fly without looking everything up ahead of time. I'm going to come back to Emily's book at the end. Another book is um, a book that you may have heard about because she's been everywhere is Jennifer Wallace's book, Never Enough. It's really lovely. She hit the New York Times bestseller list this week. Congratulations, Jennifer. It's a really um, it's a really fantastic book. The subtitle is When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. It's a great book. Again, this was she has some killer blurbs on it um, from a lot of really powerful people. And I, um, I'm i fully behind this book. I think it's fantastic. I know we talk about blurbs not mattering. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, whatever. There's another wonderful book that I really enjoyed this fall called Erasing the Finish Line with Anna Homayun. She's also gotten some great media spots. I'm so proud of her. Yes, my blurb is on this book. Um, It was one of the books that um, I blurbed that book because I've known Anna a long time. I know the work she's put into building her 
everything that she does. Not that Jennifer Wallace hasn't. She abs- She's fantastic, too. I just, you know, you get to a place where you can only do so much. And Anna's book was one I really wanted to read, the um, Erasing the Finish Line, The New Blueprint for Success Beyond Grades and College Admission. You may sense a theme here. Really, really good book. Want to give her a shout out. Phyllis Fagel. You may have heard of her before on the podcast many times because I love her book, uh, Middle School Matters. She is a middle school counselor. She has a new book called Middle School Superpowers. Love, love, love this book. Um, no, Not many people think about middle schoolers as having superpowers, but those of us who love middle schoolers know they do. Another one that will be out soon is by Devorah Heitner called Growing Up in Public. She had her first book, Screen-wise, that I recommend all over the place. Um, I often take it to talks. I have my own stash of books I've bought with my own money because I love to take them to um, to my book events. And I saw David Sedaris do this a while back. He likes to publicize other people's books at his events. I think that's fantastic. I have taken that model and run with it. So I take ScreenWise with me everywhere. I will now be taking both ScreenWise and growing up in public, coming in a, of age in a digital world. It's a fantastic book. Um, Devorah Heitner really is the master of this topic. Highly, highly recommend. And then if you listened last week, you know that we had Kirsten Jones on the show. She wrote a book called Raising Empowered Athletes. And the story behind this that we talked about on that show is she came to one of my Gift of Failure events years ago. I think it was 2017. I think that's what it was when I looked it up on my calendar. Anyway, she came to that event She waited in line to get her book signed by me, and she leaned in and she said, I have a book idea. Okay, we get a lot of that. Like, everyone has a book idea, and that's great. I love that everyone has a book idea. Some of these book ideas are worth being published, and some of them maybe not, but almost all of them are worth writing. I'm going to stay on the side of almost all of them are worth writing. But Kirsten leaned into me and she said, I have a book idea. It is the gift of failure, except for the parents of and teachers of and coaches of athletes. And I said, absolutely, I would love it if you wrote that book because we do need that book. And and here it is. It's in my hand right now. Kirsten Jones is Raising Empowered Athletes, a youth sports parenting guide for raising happy, brave, and resilient kids. Love this book. We'll be giving away a lot of copies of this book. And the final one I want to highlight as a fall um, release, you know, besides K.J. Delantonia's um playing the witch card, which everyone should be ordering, is Calm the Chaos by Dana Abraham, another book I really, really enjoyed um, that is coming out this fall. All of these are parenting and sort of parenting slash education books, but, you know, that's the game I'm in. So here's the thing. The reason I wanted to do all those book shout outs, yes, is because all of those books are coming out this fall. They're all great. I didn't get the chance to endorse every single one of them because... You can't endorse everything, right? It's not possible for me to blurb every single book. But when it comes to someone, for example, like Emily Edlin's Edlin's book, Autonomy Supportive Parenting, not only is she a member of the hashtag AmWriting community, and we coached her on the show, and she's a lovely human being, this is a book that is just great. And I want people to know about it. And... So I want you to think if you have a book coming out or if you have a book that has already been out for a while, 
think about the people who are going to be instrumental in helping you along the way. I mentioned Anna Homian. I met her for the first time in person a long time ago at a conference, and we've just remained each other's allies for years, and that's how it happens. And so you never know who those people are going to be for you. I didn't know the day I met Anna Homian or Phyllis Fagel. I met her. She tells me the story of how I met her on a day when she was feeling pretty negative about her writing and didn't think it was going to be something that was going to pan out. And I said, you're the only school counselor I know writing about this stuff from this particular little niche. And this could be your niche. And she has run with it. And she has had such, so far, an amazing career around this stuff. And little did I know that day that not only would I be meeting a new friend, and we've become very close friends, I'm meeting someone who could go on to be instrumental in spreading the word of my book and supporting me and being a part of my own little um, group of writers and speakers who I turn to when I need emotional support or professional support. So start thinking about it. Start thinking, here are your takeaways for today. Start thinking more long-term around your promotion and marketing. This is not about pub day. Go read Ryan Holiday's Perennial Seller. Start thinking about ways that you can just keep it moving. I saw a really great TikTok, I think by John Green, and John Green was talking about the fact that he sold millions and millions of books. But let's say, for example, you sell a million copies of a book, like almost no one does that. Even if you sell a million copies of of a book, that means that a very, very small percentage of the U.S. population, let alone the world population, has read your book. There are always new audience members for this book. There are always going to be people who have said, huh, I've never heard of that book, or I've always meant to read that book and never got around to it. So start thinking about who those people are and how they could be the new audience for your book. Reinvent yourself. If you've been doing the same talk for a while and you come out with a second book that book that happens to dovetail really well and P.S. are working on a third book, which I now am, I'm happy to, to tell you. And no, it's not the novel that I talked about at the beginning of the summer. I had a very eventful summer. We'll talk about that in a later episode. If you're working on a third book that's going to be the logical um end of a trilogy that encompasses gift of failure and the addiction inoculation, and you realize that these books all dovetail really well, then yay, that is an opportunity to rethink your content, rebrand yourself, remarket yourself. I don't care. There are lots of ways that you can make your material fresh, that you can ensure that your material is evergreen, and that it continues to sell for years and years. So I hope today has been helpful. I know this was a download of a lot of information. If you want more information about some of the the intricacies of how I did what I did this summer with the um, marketing and publication and going, or sorry, marketing and publicity and going to this conference and figuring out the best possible way to make the most of a professional conference around people, not only people that are hardly ever in the same room together, but that I will probably not have the chance to be around in the same room together in this way at this moment, um, then go to our hashtag writing Facebook page because that's where a lot of these great conversations happen. And uh, yeah, until next week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. Hashtag Am Writing podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. 
Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Have you started down the wonderful rabbit hole that is the world of Serena Bowen yet? If you haven't, you must. Her newest books, The New Guy and Good as Gold, continue both her True North Vermont Farm Town series and her Brooklyn Bruisers hockey series, and they are glorious. You listen to Serena tell you how she does it all the time. You need to check out her results. Find out more at serenabowen.com.